This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. We're here talking about the disease of addiction and the road to recovery. Recovery Radio is sponsored by Retreat, Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. You know, it is uh, the second week in February has been designated by the uh, Veterans Administration as something called the National Salute to Veteran Patients. We're using that as an excuse to take yet another look at a very uh, interesting and important aspect of people struggling with uh, addiction, and that is our uh, our military people, both veterans and active military people. So that's what we're going to be looking at on this edition of Recovery Radio. That's uh, veterans and substance abuse and how they get treatment, what sort of treatment they need. To that end, we've uh, reached out to Casey Creedon. Casey's been with us in the past before. He is the Associate Director of Admissions for Retreat, and in that capacity, he's had uh, plenty of experience in trying to get veterans the kind of help they need. Uh, Casey Creedon, thanks for joining us again on Recovery Radio. Good to see you. Great to be here, Steve. So they moved, you escaped from Florida, I understand, and you're now back up here. Yes. The last time you were on the program, it was by telephone. <laughs> Correct, yep. Casey's a, I'll tell you a little background story. Casey's a Delco guy, and he just, uh, the, the home, the lure of home was too much for him. <laughs> yeah. he, he left the sunny climes of Florida to go back to uh, McDade <laughs> Boulevard. Good, good, for you, good for you, Casey. Um yeah, so let, let's let's talk about this uh, subset of people. Uh, I guess it shouldn't be surprising that uh, that veterans are maybe even a little more likely to be abusing substances uh, than the rest of the public, which is already a big big problem. Uh, I mean, it's such a unique environment to be to be in the military. Uh, how big a problem are we talking about with substance abuse and veterans? Steve, it's a huge, huge, huge problem. Actually, one point five million veterans have struggled with substance abuse disorder. 25% of recent veterans struggle with substance abuse disorder. So it is. It's a huge, huge, huge problem. And about 20% of those same veterans struggle with specifically either PTSD or depression. So it's not just substance abuse. It's it's behavioral health. It's the underlying, the co-occurring issues. Uh, and it, it is. It's a, it's a big, big, big problem. We're, we're going to get uh, deeper into that co-occurring uh piece of the of the puzzle straight ahead but the the, the numbers are you know uh, I'm a little all, you know I know you are as well always a little suspicious of uh, statistics they're also very dry and they don't they don't let you know that we're, we're, when we talk about these numbers we're, t- we're we're talking about people who are really in in crisis here before we get into some of the perhaps obvious reasons why why veterans would would be abusing uh, substances what kinds of substances are they abusing? Well, um, you, you get a little bit of everything, but mainly, I would say, um, with the opiate, um, you know, uh, opiates, alcohol, cocaine, um, but the opiate epidemic, you know, really seeps into the veterans as well. I mean, a lot of the, these veterans are struggling with with opiates, which is no surprise, uh, especially since a lot of them have had injuries where they've been prescribed opiates. Um, you know, and eventually a lot of them get uh, dependent upon the, the opiate and then addicted. So, but yeah, you still see alcohol. Alcohol is a big problem, especially with the older demographic. Uh, cocaine, 
Um, but yeah, those three—they're they're the main three. But uh, you, as you can imagine, it's it's really everything. Benzos—they're also prescribed a lot of benzodiazepine for the depression and anxiety, um, and those have been abused. So it's it's really a little bit of everything. Let's talk about the alcohol. Uh, you, you mentioned in, in the and uh, in the older veterans, it's it's a, probably a larger problem. There there is a culture of of drinking that attaches itself to the military to begin with. That's a big contributor, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're supposed to drink, right? You're supposed to drink. Yeah, <laughs> and and. and uh, with regard to you know that that notion that it's part of the warrior culture to, to drink, are they even aware they that they're ha- they have a drinking problem, or does that occur to them after they get out of uh, get out of the military? Well, everyone's in a little bit of a different stage of of their addiction or alcoholism um, when we see them, but usually by the time they get to us, it's it's pretty clear that they have a uh, an alcohol problem. A lot of their loved ones have kind of left their. Um, you know, they've just had a lot of um, experiences, detrimental experiences, or um, you know, it, it just becomes clear to them that, that they they have an alcohol problem. What uh, what happens when um, somebody's looking for help? They, they naturally they reach out to the VA at, at the first at the first opportunity, right? Yes. And the VA is like, let's face it, they're like any big bureaucracy. Very often, um, you know, they can't get to people as fast as they can. Uh, Folks like Retreat are are there to sort of fill in that gap. I mean, VA is doing the best they can. They're overwhelmed with this problem like the rest rest of society. Right. Uh, We're there to help. Very often, it's just a simple question of, well, we're looking for a bed, right? Right. Talk about that window. When, when, because we know how difficult it is to get somebody to the point where they go, I, I got to get some help. Yes. What's yes. got to happen right after that thought occurs to somebody? Well, as soon as the, they're approached by either the medical staff or their social worker, and they even show the littlest bit of interest on wanting to get help, we want to get on the phone with them right away. And, you know, obviously we partner with the, v, the different VA hospitals, and they know this. They know that we literally want to get on the phone with the veteran. We want to, you know, not only go over our program, but we want to instill some hope. We want to let them know that they can get well, they can get better, but they need to act now. We need to encourage them to to accept help immediately because sometimes, like you'd mentioned, that window is, is small and it's it's fleeting. So, yeah, we want to get one of our, our highly trained transportation specialists on the road to the hospital right away. It's a critical moment, that moment when clarity, even if it's, as you say, fleeting, or somebody forms the thought in their mind, I got to get some help. That, that's when you must strike while the iron, as they say, is hot. Yes. With veterans, there's an additional problem, though, um, in doing that, whether it's you know, a government program or a private care program. And that is uh, sometimes these people are homeless. In fact, there's a very high incidence of homelessness among veterans, isn't there? Yeah, very high. Yeah, very, very high percentage of them uh, are homeless. Do, do we have any idea? Uh, is it just the nature of the disease that get, isolates them, or, or have they fallen through the cracks, or what's happened there? I would say it's probably a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely the nature of the disease. I mean, a lot of addicts who have are addicts and alcoholics who are, have progressed deeper and deeper into their addiction end up homeless. Um, 
you know, so I, it, it's definitely both. Um, you know, I know sometimes maybe they don't have as many resources, um, some of these veterans uh, and, and, and that. And, and there's so many of them too. So I think a lot of the, the resources that are there, um, you know, there's just not as many beds maybe available to them um, for these people, these veterans that need the help. So I think yeah. that leads to the problem or adds to it as well. Yeah, and and then and then the problem becomes one of there's care and then there's aftercare. Yes. Talk a little bit about the aftercare, uh, how important that is. Well, it's extremely important. Um, you know, it's all about setting someone off for the best possible chances for success. So. Um, we work on the aftercare plan almost from day one. You know, we want to not only formulate that uh, treatment plan while they're here with us in patient, but start to work on resources to set them up for the to have the best chances for success after they complete and transition. It's uh, it's a very important part when they transition from inpatient to outpatient. Aftercare includes uh, uh, many things, maybe. AA meetings and um, maybe outpatient right. treatment, but it also um, includes the important component of getting them, for instance, out of this homelessness cycle, right. put them into a sober living facility. Absolutely. Uh, are there veteran-specific sober living facilities that you're aware of? Just for yeah, they are. We, we have a lot of resources because we, we place a lot of these veterans that come through our program, so a lot of them are going back to different areas, so we find... Um, the resources that are in their area for them to have this structured, safe, supportive, sober living for them to also continue their aftercare and the continuum of care um, once they complete treatment because they need to stay enrolled in programming. They need to continue their therapy. It's very important. Even uh, medication management, they need to continue all of this. Um, and we would never discharge any veteran without having a solid aftercare plan with uh, housing for them set up. Well, you know, with regard to this continuum of uh, of of care, um, you know, what what role does something like AA play in in that continuum of care? Do you urge everybody to do that, or is it a thing that they have to, you know, arrive at themselves? How does that work? Yeah, we definitely encourage it. I mean, there's no one way for anyone to to get. Uh, sober in terms of which 12-step fellowship they want to choose, but we definitely encourage them to latch on or to get involved in a 12-step fellowship because, let's face it, millions of people have been helped by it. So we would be doing them a disservice if we didn't educate them about the different 12-step fellowships, set them up with um, you know where the meetings are at in whichever area they're going to be um, located in after they complete um, but yeah, we definitely really, really, really encourage them to to do you know a ninety and ninety, which is ninety meetings in ninety days, to get a a sponsor, a home group, get involved. Uh, and again, different clients, different veterans might pick uh, different twelve step fellowships or, or different. Um, you know, th- there's even other other um, self or there's even other help networks or help groups that aren't twelve step, but. We want them to get involved with something. It's extremely important for them to do that. Casey Creeden is our guest. Casey is the Associate Director of Admissions for Retreat. We're taking a look at veterans and addiction and the many sides of that uh, problem and issue. Here on Recovery Radio, we have more with Casey. Please don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martorano. We're here uh, this week to talk about uh, veterans and addiction. Uh, uh, as you might imagine, uh, a not... Uh, 
uncommon circumstance among uh, active and uh, veteran military people that they wind up like the rest of the public, uh, a lot of the public, um, in trouble abusing uh, substances, drugs, and alcohol. Getting them help is the topic of the program. This is a National Salute to Veteran Patients uh, Week, and we thought we'd take the occasion to take a little deeper dive into it. Uh, Associate Director of Admissions, uh, Casey uh, Creedon, is our guest in the studio, and he is filling us in on uh, uh, the path to getting veterans the kind of help that might be effective for them the obstacles that are in their way and some of the problems that they face that are unique to them as uh, as veterans. Uh, Casey, you made the gr- a great point that we've learned now from a lot of talk about the disease of addiction, and that is, first of all, there is, strictly speaking, no cure, and there's no one thing. Uh, it's not a question of, well, you go to detox and you go 28 days in some inpatient situation and everything's all better. We, we know now that uh, it takes... A, a a lot of people working together and a uh, a process that continues for a very long time for somebody to stay sober. Absolutely. Uh, tell us about. I mean, you've had some success stories where people absolutely fit that that model. Can you can you share one one of those with us? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had, like I said, we've had a lot of great success with with helping a lot of these veterans, which has been amazing. Um, Right off the bat, when when we get on the phone with them, when we hear um, that one of the social workers was speaking with one of the veterans and they've showed even the littlest bit of interest on changing their life or getting well, we want to get on the phone with them right away. We want to continue to encourage that person to get help, convince them to get help. A lot of the times in the past, they've they've had to wait um, weeks for a bed, say, to open up which is not our process. We want to, you know, get one of our transportation specialists out there immediately. Uh, So we'll talk to the veteran. With addiction, a lot of times you have a short window of willingness, so we want to jump on that, strike when the iron's hot, so to speak. So we'll get on the phone with the veteran. We'll convince them um, that they should start right now, get help. Um, And, you know, once we go over the screening process with getting some of the background information because – Continuity of care is also very important to us, so we get all the background information, medical records uh, from the actual hospital, um, and we go out and we pick that veteran right up. We want to get them into our care. And like uh, like Steve mentioned, we've had a lot of success. We've had veterans we have treated that have been bouncing around uh, in and out of uh, the system for years and years, a lot of them homeless. Better part of, you know, we have some guys five, ten years uh, most of the time, they're they're homeless, bouncing between hospital and hospital, or program to program. They've come to us. They've completed the the full program, the full continuum of care, uh, and a lot of these guys, you know, have become productive members of society again. We had at our one program, we had an actual veterans house. The one veteran became the the house manager. He was extremely involved in uh, the alumni organization. The alumni meetings. He then, you know, he went back to work, went back to school part time, and now he's actually an employee of ours. You know, an amazing uh, success story, a real inspiration to a lot of these veterans. And I tell a lot of these veterans when we first speak to them on the phone because it's even like me in, in my own recovery early on. I, I wasn't sure that it, you know something like this was possible. So it's really important to share those hope stories or those success stories, you know, with these guys. Let them know that they can get out of this rut. They can get well, too. And it's extremely important to us 
um, to give them that hope, especially in the beginning, because sometimes that's really important to get them agreeable to take the step and get the help, um, which has really been amazing. You know, and you know, we, we, we've been able to help a lot of veterans, you know, which, which is obviously fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned um, sober living being a key component to anybody who's trying to, uh, you know, re- remain um, uh, sober. Did I hear you to say that there are specific, like, veteran sober living facilities that are out there? Yes, yes, absolutely. So um, one of the things that we do uh, with our patient care coordination team is we help the veterans with with the aftercare, help them with resources. We will never discharge any patient, especially a veteran, uh, if they don't have a solid aftercare plan set up. If they're homeless, we won't do it. So we want to get them set up with some type of resource in their area where they can have a structured sober and safe living environment for them to also continue uh, their their care, you know, whether it be an outpatient or step-down program, IOP three times a week, whether it's once a week, whether it's five days a week. It's extremely important. It's all about setting this veteran up with the best possible chances for success. And, and uh, sober living or, or good housing is a very important component of that. What uh, role does the family play? in a situation that you just described, making sure that that continuum takes place? Sadly, some of them don't have a a lot of uh, family members that are in the picture, Um, but, you know, obviously some do. So we have uh, the entire family education program, which they, a lot of them are are part of as well, Um, you know, if they're willing to kind of let them know, educate them on the disease of addiction and let them know what their role would be and what their role is to, to better help their loved one transition after inpatient treatment. I'm sure there's a lot of anger there. A lot of people must certainly feel that the military experience or the you know service in and of itself caused this problem. Look what it's done to my you know son or daughter. They got to get over that too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, they have to get over that and confront the, what we're really talking about, which is a problem that may have happened without regard to military service. It's that misconception you talked about earlier for these people. When we come back on the next segment, we're going to take a look at probably a, as large a component to this problem of veterans and substance abuse as any other individual component, and that's the mental health aspect of this or the co-occurring problems that associate themselves with substance abuse. We're looking at vets and uh, substance abuse on this edition of Recovery Radio. Please don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We'll return to our topic of uh, veterans and substance abuse, uh, treating that uh, straight ahead uh, here on Recovery Radio. But this is the portion of the program where I remind you that Retreat, uh, Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, um, sponsors the program. And I tell you this every week, I'm going to tell it to you again. This is in no way intended to be an infomercial. I understand they're paying for it, and actually they're proud of their reputation. They are a a world-class operation. Uh, But they sponsor this program as an informational tool. So I give you their phone number. If Retreat can help you, they will. They've helped lots and lots of people. But if you have any questions at all about the disease of addiction or the treatment you're getting or how to get treatment, any questions at all, or anything you've heard on the program, you can call their number and someone will give you good good advice, good information. 855-859-8808 is how you reach a Retreat. And as I said, um, 
We, you know, we hope you never have to use this phone number, frankly. But when the disease of addiction arrives, nobody sees it coming. Um, you have to make extraordinarily difficult decisions under a lot of pressure. Uh, where do you turn? Uh, this is this is a resource, okay? Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Center is 855-859-8808. From Retreat, uh, their Associate Director of Admissions, uh, Casey Creeden, has been joining us uh, as we take a look at the issue of veterans uh, in substance abuse and how they're being treated and some of the obstacles to getting them uh, uh, care. Uh, Casey, uh, we know that very often uh, co-occurring mental health issues uh, go hand in hand with substance abuse. Uh, that's certainly the case with people in uh, veterans. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about some of the uh, mental health issues that veterans um, are struggling with? Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely a huge component um, with, with this particular demographic. And really with, with most people that, that struggle with addiction, there's usually always an underlying or co-occurring issue that needs to be addressed. Um, and, and that's really what we specialize in. So each veteran will get, and really every, every client, but you know each veteran, each patient gets a, a treatment plan specific, formulated specific to, their, to his or her needs. So a lot of times we're dealing with PTSD, uh, there's, there's traumas there, there's grief and loss, there's depression, anxiety, there might be some codependency, and these things absolutely need to be, need to be addressed. Um, are, are the are, are veterans aware of the relationship between their their substance abuse and these emotional issues, or or are they in the dark on it for the most part? Uh, some are, some aren't. Um, you know, a lot of times people always try to wonder what what comes first. Are they abusing substances because they have uh, the underlying issue, or is that? Um, is that a product of, mm -hmm. of the, the substance abuse? So that's usually a, a big question, but uh, either way, it, ne it needs to be addressed. And, and usually the substance abuse, whether it's alcohol or drugs, it's what they're trying, it's their coping mechanism to try to deal with the, the underlying struggles that they have. I've seen statistics that suggest uh, upwards of 20% of military men and women who have served in places like Afghanistan or, or Iraq suffer from uh, something like this P PTSD or depression or tr even, tr you know, traumatic brain injury, it's probably a much higher number than that. Uh, are veterans more likely to try to, you know, suck it up when it, when it comes to feeling depressed or um, traumatized in some way? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, a lot of people try to, you know, not necessarily, quote-unquote, talk about their feelings or, or try to blame it on something like that. So, yeah, we run into that a lot. Um, so it's important to kind of get them comfortable about talking about these certain things and, and educating them, getting them to understand, um, you know, that, that these issues need to be addressed, that there are reasons a lot of times why they behave a certain way or why they have, uh, you know, issues with continuing relapse and they need they need to know that and they need to understand that and then that's that's a real big focus of what we do you you come in contact uh, with a, a veteran who would be coming into uh treatment at the at the very beginning i mean you're you're at that process uh, not that you do the evaluation can you talk a little bit about how, how a veteran would be evaluated for uh care and who who makes the determination of 
you know, what co-occurring situations are going on and how that's treated. Yes. So each veteran that comes in, they get a full psychosocial medical evaluation uh, upon admission. And then they're also, uh, they're, they're given a, they're assigned a clinical team and medical team. And, and of course, like the, the aftercare, patient care coordinator. Uh, so they're assigned this entire team and they, they discuss and they, they work on the treatment plan and they work on the diagnoses and they, you know, they put together and formulate a treatment plan, how to move forward, how to treat this individual client because everybody's different. Not everyone's the same. So, and it's not a cookie cutter program. It's extremely individualized. So yeah, they formulate that treatment plan and, and it changes. So there, there's adjustments that, that are made depending on how a client may be responding to certain treatments or how the veteran might be responding um, what's working better, what's not. Um, maybe more information has been revealed and they kind of want to tweak uh, the, the treatment plan. So all that happens while they're, while they're here. And there is, there's a, obviously there's a psychiatric professional here. We're, we're, we're not talking about, we're talking about actual psychiatrists who look at this. Absolutely. Situ- this situation. A- absolutely, yes. So, so we lump everything into the same category all the time. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, sounds like it's the same thing and it affects everybody in the same way. In your experience, that's not the case, right? No, that's not the case. You know, like I said, everybody's different. Everybody has different traumas. Uh, and some people respond better to, to treatments than other people. So you need to find that niche. It's all about keeping a client comfortable because you want to have a breakthrough. So you want to find out what's going to work better for them. We offer so many different uh, treatment modalities and you want to kind of uh, fit whatever's going to work best for that specific veteran to have that breakthrough. When you, you, I know you've spoken openly about your, uh, your what now? How many years sober are you now? You're coming up on seven. Yeah, congratulations. So, so thank you, you. You're, you're a success here. But, but you've been there, and, and you know what that that moment of clarity or that moment when you go, you know what, I got to do something different. Can you can you describe what that was like for you? So somebody listening might go, well, maybe I can get there too. What, what was that moment like? You remember it? Yes, yes, I do. Um, I tried many, many times, um, you know, to get sober. I was in quite a few different programs, and a lot of it, it's what we're talking about now. I, I had to understand that there were things that before I didn't want to look at. There were underlying and co-occurring issues that um, that needed to be addressed, and and. The last time I was in treatment, you know, those those were addressed, and 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 it, it helped give me the tools um, to to stay sober, you know, because it wasn't just like I thought that I I abused drugs and alcohol because I liked how they made me feel, and come to find out that I was really using them uh, as my solution, you know, that was that was the solution to my problem. It was the horrible solution. It didn't work. It made the problem worse. So I needed to find out that I was self-medicating. I needed to um, to really understand that before some real, real work could be done. Uh, how how many times were you in uh, treatment before the, sort of the light went on? I believe it were seven, seven different uh, treatment stays. Over how many? How how long a period of time? Uh, let's see. So the first time I went to treatment was two thousand eight, and I eventually got sober in two thousand twelve. So. Four so, years. so four years. So yeah. four years struggle, which is not 
as, as I understand it, all that unusual or even a particularly long period no, of time. No, no, and that's from when I first went to treatment. I mean, I struggled because there was a long, long time before I was even willing to go to treatment. So um, the, the struggle was, was, it was much longer than that. But from the first time I went to treatment to where I actually got sober, yeah, it was about four years. You know, these stories are very helpful because uh, uh, people hear this and they go, yeah, I'm right there. When am I going to get to that point where it started to work? And there's no, no good answer for, for that. Why did you keep trying over that four-year four period? You relapsed a number of times. I mean, why did you keep trying? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, a lot of it were, were loved ones, people around me that, that didn't give up. Um, I mean, even some clinicians, you know, because I, and I touched on it before, and it's important when we talk to these veterans when they're still in the hospital, I didn't really truly believe that I could get sober. So when, you know, it was important for people to kept, you know, that kept sharing their own story with me and, th and that hope, which made me realize, man, maybe I can, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can get sober. This person was doing the same thing I was doing. And look, now they're sober. So um, it's, it's extremely important sharing that hope, experience strength and hope. Um, you know, it's very important what we do, because when you've failed so many times at something, you start to believe the lie that you can't get sober. And that's where a lot of these veterans are at. So we really need to kind of share that with them and, and, and really encourage them to take that step. You know, And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes we go on the phone with them and they are defeated. Um, but it's, you know, it's obviously, it's, it's so, so, so worth it. So putting, putting in that extra effort to try to really get through to somebody and share what you've been through and explain to them, look, you can do it. You need to take this step and this is how we do it. And, and, and bam, you know, you have to get them to say yes. And then, and know. then put them in the context of, of, of success. Yes. Where, where people are saying, come on, this is what you should do. That's why breaking that cycle of substance abuse and homelessness is so important because if, if you're home, if you're living on the street, that's not ex that's not a supportive environment, right? And a lot of them have accepted that, and that's and that's what you need to break. A lot of them have accepted. Look, this is my life. This is this is where it's at. I know I did before I got sober. I accepted this is the life I was going to lead. So you need to get in there and shatter that that thought process and get them to agree to get help today, now, right now. So it's extremely important. Casey Creighton is our guest on Recovery Radio this week. Uh, Casey is the Associate Director of Admissions for Retreat. He's in that capacity. He's dealt with uh, with lots of veterans, and there are many, many more who need desperately to get help for substance abuse and the co-occurring mental disorders that often accompany a life in the military and multiple deployments in combat situations. That's the topic uh, on Recovery Radio, and, and we have more. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Uh, my name is Steve Martirano. We, we've been talking about veterans and uh, substance abuse. It should come as no surprise that um, military folks, veterans, active military people, are as likely to have problems with drugs and alcohol and abusing them as the general population. It should also come as no surprise that it is as difficult for them, maybe a little, maybe even a bit more difficult for military folks in coming to grips with uh, substance uh, abuse and the uh, co-occurring mental conditions that often go hand in hand with that. To give us a, a better look at that, on, on this, the what the VA likes to talk about as a, a national Salute Veterans Day for patients. Um, Casey uh, Creedon from Retreat has joined us to talk a little bit about 
what happens at a place like retreat when they are treating veterans in active abuse. Uh, Casey, uh, we mentioned earlier, and I want to I want to get a little deeper into this in the last segment we have here now about this continuum of care, how important it is that a veteran get the full range of treatment, and that includes uh, very significantly aftercare. Aftercare yes. couldn't possibly be any more important because after all, it doesn't make any difference what the quality of the original treatment is. If it's not followed up by uh, careful aftercare, it may be for no uh, no good reason. What, what are some of the difficulties in that aftercare situation that do military people face that are unique to them? And I'm thinking about the transition from active military to civilian life. What, what are some of the things that in a sober living context they would need to get a handle on? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a huge point of focus, especially since we mentioned before the rate of homelessness with a lot of these veterans. So even just like basic life skills. So when we set them up with, with these resources where they can where they do sober living, a lot of it is they are veteran houses, which is nice because, you know, they're, they're with people that are having similar struggles. They're, they're able to, um, you know, kind of go, go through these things together, uh, especially since some of them have been there before. They might have a little more sober time. So when the new veteran comes in, you know, they're they're almost accepted with with this family that can kind of you know show them the ropes, so to speak. But um, but yeah, it's it's extremely important. And like I said, even basic life life skills help them get a job. Some of them have goals; they might want to go back to school. Um, many 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 different things. But it's very important to keep them uh, involved in our amazing alumni department, which we do a really great job at, uh, and. And kind of keep them, keep their interest with their aftercare. They need to continue their their aftercare plan with the programming. Continue to see the the uh, providers, uh, whether it be um, psychiatrists uh, and also the, their their outpatient therapists. It's very important that they continue that because it is. It's a very difficult transition, especially for somebody who's uh, in the military. No, in particularly. Um the, the the motion picture Hurt Locker. Are you familiar with the motion picture Hurt Locker? Yes. Well, you know, there's a lot of dramatic scenes in there with the dismantling of uh, explosive devices that are intended to, uh, you know, get us on the edge of our seats. But for me, the most uh, compelling scene in that movie was the lead character is in um, is in the Middle East. He's defusing these bombs. He's got a reputation for being unbelievably daring, uh, risking his life multiple times. And then he's sort of rotated out, and they cut almost immediately, as I recall, from his combat life, diffusing these bombs, to him walking down the aisle of a supermarket um, back in the United States, uh, groceries. And the scene is intended to show you how disoriented he is. It's sort of like, is this weird? I mean, I don't think many of us can understand how somebody who's used to the regiment regimented life and dangers of active military duty can find themselves one day there and hours later back in the States. That's why they need this structure. That's why they need this kind of social living regimentation, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. And that, again, is also why a lot of them kind of cling to, to drugs or alcohol to help cope. I mean, even like that movie, that that guy, he wanted to go back. He was so uncomfortable in civilian life, he wanted to go back overseas. So... 
And I think that's that's why a lot of these veterans have turned to drugs and alcohol and have become addicted because they're trying to to get something to cope. They've just they've just been through this this rigorous or this very traumatic experience and to adapt to regular civilian life. I can't imagine how difficult it is. Uh, and, and again, they're 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 trying to get something to to ease that pain or, or, or something to help them cope with with society with regular day life. And, and a lot of these people have been multiply uh, deployed. They've been back and forth many times, right? Which doesn't help the uh, the stress situation. No. We, we only have a minute or so left here, and uh, we of course now we're a full generation. Uh, into uh, women in the military it's, it's no longer a, an exotic topic um and, and they're suffering from the, from the same sort of uh, stresses and problems that the men are now right absolutely yeah absolutely do they need specific kind of uh female guidance and sober living and aftercare yes yeah definitely uh, especially with the the treatment why they're with us because you know women it, it's it's different. It's it's different types of trauma that they they struggle with, and it's 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 easier or more difficult for certain people to speak about those things. Now, females typically are uncomfortable with speaking to male clinicians about a lot of this stuff. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of our programming with with our veterans track is gender specific. Uh, Casey, we, there's a there's a lot more to talk about this. We're out of time, though. We appreciate uh, your uh, your expertise here. We remind everybody that it is National Salute to Veterans Patients Day, particularly if you see somebody on the streets that uh, may or may not be uh, acknowledging that they're a veteran. Uh, maybe a hand out there um, would wouldn't be a bad idea. Casey, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Those of you listening, thanks for your attention as well, and uh, keep looking for Recovery Radio. Take care. Bye bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.